einfach aus Spaß an der Freud. Mhm. Ähm, ne, so ist das doch. Ja, yeah. it's, it's worth saying in English too. Yeah, just, just for the heck of it. Yeah. Just learn languages for the heck of it. That's what the polyglot does. Yes. Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable. Hey everybody and welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast episode 73. My name is Kirsten Cable as always from fluentlanguage.co.uk and I'm your host presenting to you today an interview that you will, I think you're going to love it. I loved speaking to the person and there is a little bit of an extra challenge that we built into the episode. So we tried something unusual and I will tell you all about that in a second. First of all, allow me a minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, Clothesmaster. Clothesmaster is addictive, fun and free. You might have already tried it and it's a very simple game-based language learning app that you can download on iPhone and Android. You will see a sentence in your target language with something missing and then it's your challenge to fill in the gap. And Clothesmaster is free and is always going to free going to be free but if you're ever interested or if you're ever curious there's a really cool bunch of pro features for example you can click or tap on a word in any sentence after answering it and then you're going to see related sentences and you're going to see the automatic google translation so you just get the context for that word in a sentence i've used this myself for learning welsh and i find it extremely useful Clothesmaster uses high-frequency word lists that built into sentences from real life. So everything that you learn is natural content and that's what we want. So if you want to support our show and try out this free app, go to clothesmaster.com. So that's C-L-O-Z-E master.com slash C-L-L-P where you'll find a bonus video from me and a special voucher if you ever try to if you ever choose to try out the pro features. Right. Bing bong. Now it's time to tell you about today's episode. In today's episode, I interviewed Polyglot Gathering founder, 15 language learner, superstar, absolutely nice person. Judith Meyer. Judith Meyer was a request, so I'd actually been asked to have her on the show, and I'm so glad to oblige and to bring you this talk with Judith today. There is a little quirk to it, which you're going to find as you get into the interview, as we play the interview, and the quirk is that this interview is bilingual. So stay with me here, don't switch off the show. I'll explain more in a minute. It's in German and in English because Judith and I both speak German and English and we speak German and English to each other. If you are a German learner, I've got a very special treat for you. I have had a transcript made of this show so you can download this transcript, read along, pause the show, follow us along and use this as you're listening and reading practice for the day. How good is that? Simply look at the show notes and there's a big button or there's going to be a big link there that just says download your transcript here. 
All you have to do, put in your email address and then I'm going to send you the transcript straight away. So that's my little treat for you if you want it. Or if you just want to enjoy Judith's advice, I highly, highly recommend it. Judith just knows what's up. So I'm going to stop bigging her up just to say I really enjoyed this interview. This one was special and I can't wait to present it to you. Judith is the founder of LearnU.com head organizer of the Polyglot Gathering, the author of books on learning, French, German, Chinese, Arabic, and Esperanto, right? Well, that is my my latest project. Um, you can now pre-order it, but it's not available yet. Uh, I actually uh, co-authored uh, the new Teach Yourself Complete Esperanto. Man, that's amazing. And... Because that's not enough in a busy life, Judith is also a youth NGO representative and works at DM25, which is an organization for more democracy in the European Union institutions, right? Yes. Perfect. Okay, and there's something else about Judith Meyer that you guys might not be aware of, <laughs> probably are though, is like me, she is a German native. And Judith has agreed to do a very special podcast with me today and a very special project. This is going to be a bilingual podcast. Judith and I are both Germans. We speak a lot of English in our daily lives. We both have English main language partners. And even in our off-mic conversations, when we have met up in real life, we have found that we're switching between German and English when we, when we talk. So even in our normal conversations, we switch. And today, I want you guys to experience what that can sound like and get some German language practice in for yourselves as well, perhaps. If you are not an experienced German learner, I am aware that there will be some parts of this podcast where you just don't understand. And that is absolutely fine. First of all, like all language learners, you're not alone in that feeling. There's, I certainly feel like I don't understand most of the time. And I always remember what the lovely, lovely Ron Gullickson said, the language surfer who came on this podcast years ago. Uh, and what he said about listening to different languages was, I want to get used to feeling really uncomfortable. So if we're making you a little bit uncomfortable today, fear not. Stay with me if you can and trust that we will come back to English again and again and the interview should still be interesting for you. So, Judith, are you ready to do this thing? Natürlich. Okay, gut. Ja, dann fangen wir auf Deutsch an. Und meine erste Frage, da geht's um den Sprachwettbewerb. So, the language learning competition. It's a German government competition, the Sprachwettbewerb. Und du hast mit 17 beim Sprachwettbewerb gewonnen in Chinesisch. Wie, wie kam das und wie, wie war das, diese Erfahrung? Also eigentlich, der, der volle Name ist äh, Bundeswettbewerb Fremdsprachen und den gibt es äh, zum einen äh, für Polyglots und zum anderen gibt es äh, Spezialwettbewerbe für Chinesisch und Japanisch. Und ich habe leider die Anmeldefrist für den Wettbewerb für Polyglots ver äh, verpasst, weil mir keiner davon erzählt hat. Das war wirklich, an meiner Schule gab es keine anderen Polyglots und keine Lehrer, die sich da eben mit irgendwie beschäftigt haben. Das war sehr schade. Aber ich habe es noch geschafft, mich für den Sonderwettbewerb Chinesisch anzumelden. Und da ging es darum, innerhalb von sechs Monaten ein bisschen Chinesisch zu lernen. Dann musste man eine, einen längeren Aufsatz verfassen über ein, ein Thema, das China betrifft. 
äh, und äh, danach natürlich weiterlernen und dann konnte man, äh, wenn man ein Preisträger war, nach China gehen, äh, um dort sechs, äh, sechs Wochen intensiv Chinesisch zu lernen. Oh. Und äh, das, äh, das habe ich gemacht. Ich äh, war also eine der drei Preisträgerinnen äh, des Jahres. Und ähm, ja, für mich war das eigentlich äh, keine besondere äh, Frage, ob ich da mitmache oder nicht. Also, sobald ich es gelesen habe, wusste ich, dass ich da mitmachen würde. Ich äh, habe mich schon immer für Chinesisch äh, interessiert. Äh, die Zeichen fand ich äh, als Kind schon sehr spannend und habe selbst irgendwie versucht, ein eine eigene Schrift zu entwickeln, die so ähnlich aussieht äh, wie Chinesisch, <lacht> äh, so in der Art und ich, also ich wusste, ich muss die Sprache irgendwann lernen und äh, dieser Wettbewerb, äh, der, den gibt es nur äh, für ähm, Sch Schüler, also nicht für Studenten, sondern nur bis maximal 13. Klasse und ich war in der 13. Klasse, also muss, wusste ich genau dieses Jahr lerne ich jetzt Chinesisch. Das, also du warst vorher schon Polyglot. Du hast vorher schon mehrere Sprachen gelernt in der Schule oder alleine? Ja, ja, in der Schule. Also mhm. ähm, hauptsächlich. Äh, ich ähm, komme aus einem einsprachigen Elternhaus. Äh, also habe ich mit zehn Jahren erst äh, meine erste Fremdsprache gelernt. Das war Englisch. Mhm. Äh, danach äh, Latein. Danach habe ich Französisch angefangen und äh, nach zwei Jahren sofort wieder aufgegeben, weil das, äh, <lacht> äh, ja, ne? das, das, lag, das lag mir nicht, obwohl ich jetzt mittlerweile äh, einen Abschluss in Romanistik mit Schwerpunkt Französisch habe, aber zu dem Zeitpunkt und in der Weise, wie es unterrichtet wurde, lag es mir nicht. Dann habe ich Esperanto angefangen. Das war meine erste Sprache im Selbststudium. Die hat mir sehr, sehr viel Motivation gegeben und überhaupt mich ermutigt, äh, dass auch selbst äh, Sprachen im, im Selbststudium zu lernen. Äh, und äh, schließlich noch äh, Italienisch. Das hatte ich auch als eine der Sprachen äh, im Abi. Äh, das heißt, das waren so in etwa meine Sprachen äh, zu dem Zeitpunkt. Ich hatte ein paar Wörter Griechischen aufgeschnappt, ein bisschen, ein paar Wörter Niederländisch hier und dort. Aber äh, eigentlich war es äh, also Deutsch, Englisch, äh, Latein, äh, Esperanto, Französisch, Italienisch und, ja. und dann Chinesisch in Yeah, da haben wir, um, we, we have a lot in common then in terms of the, the background and what got us interested in languages. Like you, I come from a completely monolingual household. I mean, very strong dialect, but that doesn't, we never thought that counted. We never thought of it as something to be valued even. Um, and I did, I did all my languages, my first languages in, in secondary school as well. That's amazing to hear. And you spent a little bit of time in China. And how was it? How was it different to learn in the country? Did you feel like you had enough language to to actually help you get on there? Did you have the opportunity to test yourself? Well, you're you're making a very good point, which is that uh, you should have a basic knowledge of the language before you get to a country. Mm -hmm. At least that's my philosophy, uh, because uh, if you understand uh, four or five words in a sentence, then you have a pretty good chance of uh, understanding the last one or trying to, to guess it. But if you understand uh, like zero or one out of five, then you cannot really learn so much from context and you're really dependent on... Uh, formal instruction, formal classes, which you could also have in your native country. So um, in my case, actually, this was uh, 2004. And uh, before the uh, Olympic Games, uh, China was uh, quite a different place. 
Uh, it was not uh, so open to to foreigners. Uh, there were not not many restaurants, for example, that had English speaking staff or English menus. And also, I was in the university district. Uh, this uh, summer course uh, took place at the Beijing Language and Culture University, uh, which has uh, summer courses. So uh, for the the campus itself uh, was um, uh, quite international. Uh, not so many English speakers, but a lot of people from Japan, from Korea, uh, from other Asian countries. Uh, it was a really, really uh, awesome experience. And we had like four hours of uh, classes uh, every day. And after that, uh, it was mostly free. So, uh, and then as soon as we left uh, the campus and like to go to the surrounding area to buy stuff, to eat at a restaurant or like, we just had to speak Chinese. There was no other way. And even going to uh, Tiananmen Square or any of the tourist sites, uh, it was mostly uh, tourists from China, uh, not so many Western tourists. So uh, we just had to use Chinese to to do anything. Mm. Uh, it was uh, it was really a, a great help uh, for my Chinese. I love I love how this this story. And there's something that struck me as you were describing it, and describing the experience, which is that. The way you talk about, you know, going out to China, the way you talk about the language, there is very little, to me, it sounds like there's very little part of you that is motivated by this opportunity to prove yourself, right? So you talk about learning a language a little bit before you go, because that is a good way of learning a language. And I often find that people, when they talk about um immersion that dreaded word it's um that they want to go to a country and part of it is can i survive can i do this and you don't it doesn't sound like that is part of your motivation the idea of do i prove myself is there to what extent do you think there is that feeling well not in uh, not in the terms of uh, of going to to an immersion in order to prove myself no uh, for for me, it's really about learning the language. The the, the learning is the the goal, uh, mm -hmm. but I do like to to challenge myself in uh, in other ways. Um, I I like to have a goal simply because I found that uh, it allows me to study faster, to to um, spend more time in a day studying a language than if I had no particular goal. So, for example, just now in uh, in November. Uh, I spent uh, basically a month uh, learning Croatian because I knew that uh, early December I would be able to meet up with a Croatian-speaking member of this um, uh, DiEM25 uh, movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so the idea was uh, when I meet him, I want to be able to, to say a few things in Croatian uh, uh, to him. And this motivated me to study more Croatian than I otherwise would have uh, without having this clear uh, deadline. Mm -hmm. So, so I do believe in in, in this kind of uh, motivation, or generally, I try to set uh, short-term goals uh, just in order to uh, get myself to study more often and uh, maybe to study with a greater purpose. Um, so, uh, what what I really uh, I I must say that I'm easy to to lose motivation, to get uh, demotivated, to to get lazy, um, to give up on a language uh, if it's just studying a textbook day in day out um i have very low patience uh, for this kind of thing so what i really aim for is uh, to have some kind of practical uh, use for the language within let's say three months mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i often have this kind of uh, a mini goal uh, for the three months period and 
this mini goal should be something that allows me to actually use the language uh, in some way or other, even if I continue to study a textbook afterwards. So um, maybe the most uh, amazing mission like that I did was uh, with Japanese. Uh, I learned to understand a particular Japanese uh, anime series uh, that I like. Uh, within uh, actually just uh, just one month was enough because I really um, I shut out every part of Japanese that did not have to do with this uh, anime series. Uh, I shut out uh, the uh, the writing system. I didn't try to speak it. I didn't try to read it. I didn't try to write it. I just tried to understand and sp not even to understand any Japanese thrown at me, but just uh, the language used in this anime. I actually used uh, subs to SRS in order to make flashcards based on this anime, and then. Uh, studied those uh, and got a sense of how they speak. And you know, if you uh, if it comes down to that, um, the language that is used in any particular book, in any particular TV series or so on, is highly repetitive. So if you spend a bit of time on that, then uh, you can easily understand uh, the next few words that are coming up. Oh. So that is, that is actually uh, the approach I took. Uh, and uh, the idea was that uh, once I know enough Japanese to understand a new episode of this uh, anime series, then I have something that I can enjoy. You know, in the evening I can relax, I can just watch an episode of this and uh, keep my Japanese active this way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, this uh, ability to do something that is not studying, that is not sitting down with a textbook and, and cramming vocabulary, uh, this is uh, what keeps me going. Uh, to actually study the harder parts of Japanese. Because if you want to uh, to know Japanese on a high, very high level, obviously you have to put in the 1,200 or 2,000 hours that uh, are generally calculated for that. Oh. So it's not that you're actually speeding up uh, the learning, you're just speeding up the part where you can actually use the language for something that is uh, important to you. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I often try to develop conversational ability relatively quickly. Because then I have some people I can talk to, I can just have some basic uh, conversations, you know, about language learning, about the uh, polyglot events, about uh, common people we know. And um, while I'm uh, having these conversations, I keep studying uh, the vocabulary and keep improving until I actually have a high level in the language. But but I need this kind of first, first goal, first success, uh, something that I can do that is not... Uh, the hard part of learning a language. I I really wanted to to summarize and highlight a few things of you that you said um, be, before before I switch to a little bit more German because this is this is such good ad advice if somebody is listening for the first time and wondering what to do and and for me it is just a, such a you know even though I sort of like you I've been doing this for ages and you sort of know you know your thing after a while but. This is such a good, you know, to hear it um, expressed like that, I think is extremely good because you, you, I think it's, it's so true that we want to do something that is not studying. And that's almost perhaps it's a polyglot or we, we think of it as this polyglot modern approach to language learning, you know, partly because it's a self-teacher's approach to language learning. And you say you get easily demotivated and anybody would, you know, when you say like you need the 2000 something hours to learn Japanese, my instant internal reaction is, oh, nee, ich will nicht. Ugh. 2000 <laughs> hours of study, like nobody wants to do that. Nobody on earth gets excited. I really think this, even if you are 
mad about learning and you love it in a way that Judith does and the way that I do, um, nobody gets excited about hearing, oh, you've got to do 2,000 hours of work for this thing to work. And that's not the point. So I think what you're saying is is so important and such good advice to just like use it. Doesn't matter if you're like perfect. That's not the point at that stage. And also to remember that doing something else is learning. All contact, I think this, I, all contact with your target language is learning. Yes, definitely. And I keep track of it. I don't even distinguish it. You know, I, I have uh, spreadsheets where... I have been logging my uh, language studying activity for the past uh, eight years. Mm -hmm. So I always know how many hours I spent in a year learning a language. And I make no difference. Uh, like for Chinese, uh, I, I note down the hours that I spent learning vocabulary. But in the same column, I also note uh, the hours that I spent on TV. I don't make a, a distinction because I know that uh, uh, watching some TV series... If I focus on it, not if it's in the background, but if I focus on it, then it is uh, similarly valuable and it will, in the end, it will contribute to those uh, 2000 hours that I need in order to have a really high level of uh, Chinese. Mm. Oh, and if you want to, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into my uh, philosophy of uh, getting good at just one particular uh, thing in order to enjoy the language while you're learning more. Uh, I actually gave a talk about this at the Polyglot Gathering a few years back. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, it's called uh, mat Matching Methods and Goals in Language Learning. I'm going to find that and put it in the show notes for our listeners. That's really interesting. I might watch that one as well because I don't think I was there. Ooh. Was ich da total interessant fand, ist... Um Erstmal die Sache mit ne, mit einem einem Spreadsheet, mit einer mit einer Tabelle ähm, und da wirklich ein bisschen einfach drauf zu achten, wie viel Zeit du verbringst. Aber was ich da besonders interessant fand, ist, dass du eine Lebensperspektive hast aufs Sprachenlernen, weil viele Leute denken ja, okay, wie lange dauert das? Wie kann ich in sechs Monaten Spanisch lernen? Oder jemand macht einen Neujahrsvorsatz, ich lerne dieses Jahr Französisch. Aber es ist genauso, wie du sagst, so, so finde ich das auch. Wie viele Stunden verbringe ich mit meiner Sprache aufs Jahr gesehen? Nicht diese Woche oder so. Und ich hasse diese Frage, wenn jemand sagt, wie, viel, wie viele Stunden studierst du, lernst du, studierst du in der Woche? Hängt erstmal ja nichts von der Woche ab. Und, und zweitens mal ist es, ist es einfach nicht... Ich, ich finde diesen aufs Jahr gesehen total guten Ansatz. Den würde ich gerne auch übernehmen. Ja, ich, äh, ich versuche halt jedes Jahr ein bisschen mehr zu lernen als äh, im, im vorigen Jahr. Äh, insofern ist das auch für mich ein Anreiz äh, irgendwo. Mhm. Äh, und ähm, ich, ich kann wirklich nicht gut äh, Tagebücher führen. Ich äh, bin da irgendwie zu faul zu. Deshalb habe ich einfach eine Tabelle, wo ich mal eben schnell eine Stunde markiere oder zwei Stunden markiere. Und äh, deshalb mache ich das so. Mhm. Gut, also ich frage dich jetzt zu deinen Sprachen. So... You speak 14 languages. Du sprichst 14 Sprachen oder hast mit 14 Sprachen schon mal geflirtet, geliebäugelt, getanzt. <lacht> ja, geflirtet mit mehr. Aber ich sag mal so, in neun, neun Sprachen, die ich wirklich, äh, wirklich gut kann mhm. äh, und äh, fünf, äh, bei denen geht's noch. Ja, wer zählt auch. Ist so, als, aber es ist eine, eine, wirklich eine intensive, große Anzahl. Das muss auch gesagt werden. Um, oder du, um, you describe it in your, in your bio, um, I have read you describe it as I have learned or started to learn, which I really like. That's um, that's something I can identify with as well. So do you have a favorite among your many languages? Oh, 
there's uh, several favorites. Uh, one is uh, certainly Esperanto because it allows me to express myself uh, the best. Uh, I feel that uh, when I when I want to express ideas that are uh, very very deep uh, in in me, then Esperanto usually has better words for it uh, than other languages. Uh, of course, uh, in terms of learning, uh, I really, really love Chinese. Uh, I love everything about the language. Uh, I love the characters, especially. Uh, sometimes uh, I write the characters as a kind of uh, meditational practice. Just write them and uh, meditate along that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, th those those would be my two favorites. If you ask me to name a third, probably Swahili, because the, the grammar is just crazy interesting <laughs> new <laughs> and lots of listeners who who listen to this podcast um are people who have studied a language for quite a while so i get regular inquiries from people who are looking to step up to a higher level who want to go from i don't know in intermediate to advanced we say but i in my mind it's like i want to go from beginner to not as much beginner to intermediate to a bit better intermediate, but this feeling, you know, you know this probably very well, this feeling of I'm getting better. That's what we're looking for. Do you have any advice for people who are in the sort of big gray middle who want to feel like they're getting better? Well, there's there's two questions really that you asked. Uh, one is about feeling that you're getting better and uh, actually getting better. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I actually believe... Fine, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... I actually believe that uh, the language, uh, our, our language level adapts uh, to whatever we're doing with the language. So uh, if you say you want to be able to learn, to, you want to be able to read German literature, uh, and all you ever do is uh, study textbooks or read e easy readers, then it's not going to uh, get to that level because you're not exposed to the kind of vocabulary that you need in order to read literature. So uh, I think that the only way to get to this level is to actually be, be reading it. Mm -hmm. And uh, conversely, if you say, oh, it would be really nice to have this level where I could read German literature, but actually I'm not interested in German literature and I won't be actually reading any of it, then it's very unlikely that you'll retain this level even if you, uh, even if you achieve it. Uh, because uh, you just won't see the words uh, in in a while, and uh, you will forget them. So, so I highly believe in uh, actually looking at what you want to use the language for, and then developing the language uh, in that uh, direction. Uh, and it will automatically happen if you yeah. if you're really really interested uh, in a political issue, like I became interested in in the Greek Spring. Uh, then suddenly you're going to have uh, enough vocabulary in order to, to deal with it, in order to understand it. Uh, and uh, if you're not really, if your lifestyle is such that you don't really have a use for C2 level German, uh, then good luck, you're not going to achieve it or you're going to forget it again. Maybe you should uh, set a different goal, something that actually relates to your life. Mm, but uh, there was that. another question that, about feeling that you're making progress. And this is very difficult when you're uh, at an intermediate uh, or advanced level. You just don't notice all the words that you're learning in a day uh, because uh, they don't come up as often. So let's say you don't know the word uh, to to study. Mm -hmm. You will notice this every single time you talk to a native speaker because you're looking for the word to study and you don't have it. But uh, if you don't know the word for climate change, 
um, maybe you would need it uh, once a month and then this month you didn't know it and you learned it and then you don't notice that you actually learned this word until next month when you use it again. So it is much harder to see the progress. Uh, so for this purpose, uh, I like to uh, actually write down the words uh, that I'm studying or even put them into Anki uh, just to see that, hey, I, my list is actually getting longer and these words that I used to not know, uh, I know them now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I think word lists and vocab lists and just keeping track of the vocab that we, you know, encounter, just even writing the words down, I always feel like, I often say to people, like, you're not going to learn backwards, you know, when people are worried about, you know, getting better or something or doing something that isn't going to, is this really going to benefit me? I say, well, it's not going to damage you. Nothing's going to, you know, it's not going to delete words from your head. So you might as well try. It's better than doing nothing or umming and eyeing. Something that you said before that I really liked, um, you say a lot of stuff that I like, <laughs> is um, you talked about this, you know, like that you have to read German literature in order to develop literary German. And there is something in there of um, the philosophy of start before you're ready. Anzufangen, bevor man sich bereit, bevor man bereit ist oder bevor man sich bereit fühlt und dann an der Aufgabe zu wachsen. Ja, ich habe das bei meinem Chinesisch gemerkt. Ich war lange Zeit auf einem Plateau mhm. und konnte einfach nicht besser werden oder so schien es mir. Und dann habe ich Unterricht genommen an der Universität Dalarna in Schweden, also Online-Unterricht, die machen alles online. Richard Simcott hatte mir das empfohlen und die haben Chinesischkurse auf sehr hohem Niveau also sogar ähm, moderne chinesische Literatur auf Chinesisch unterrichtet oder chinesische Linguistik und so. Mhm. Äh, und äh, da wurde ich plötzlich gefordert. Äh, ich musste PowerPoint-Präsentationen geben auf Chinesisch. Mhm. Das musste ich noch nie. Äh, ich musste äh, Debatten führen auf Chinesisch. Äh, und daran bin ich gewachsen. Daran hat sich mein Chinesisch verbessert. Mm. So that's, you know, the, the challenges you're describing is exactly what we, what we grow with. Daran, an den Aufgaben und an den Herausforderungen wächst man dann. Um, and I have noticed this as a tutor. Um, you know, for many years I, I tutored German one-to-one. -one, and when I wanted students to grow, when I gave them the more, the harder challenges, the student would only grow if they actually did that. And not every student took the challenge. So because they didn't feel ready, because they didn't have the capacity to to get a, the head around how to you know how to even start because they weren't comfortable with um walking a path when you don't quite know what the path is you know and and that is really something where i could tell the the students that experienced a lot of growth were the ones who just who just tried the task that they didn't know how to do and as a teacher it's it's very tempting to take the student and walk them through every single step. And when you do that, then essentially you're teaching them almost nothing. Well, it's, um, I, I think that uh, there are some beginners that uh, really have no idea of how to learn a language. Yes. So you may have to uh, give them some tips, even how to write a flashcard. Uh, or what are the uh, good opportunities uh, to be studying your flashcards? Or um, this is a text that I completely don't understand. And... How would I go about starting to understand a bit of it? Some people really have never tried it and have no idea how to go about it. Uh, I actually think uh, Alex Rawlings did a really good uh, presentation about that, uh, how to read text when you don't understand anything. 
Uh, he did like a demonstration with Hungarian, I think. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, anyway, so um, I think that, yes, you definitely shouldn't shy away f uh, from such uh, tasks. Um, but also as a language teacher, if you have a first-time language learner, uh, then there are some things that you can teach uh, people in oh. order to help them uh, match uh, work, work with this kind of task. Oh, 100%, yes. No, to put it into perspective, this is people who, you know, who were already doing the thing, who were quite a few years in, and who felt the plateau. You know, people who felt frustrated because they felt like they weren't growing. Um, but now I agree with you as a beginner, if you are if you are a tutor, if, perhaps we've got tutors listening, I don't know, or you work with a tutor, um, I think it's it's good advice and good practice to just help people find a way of learning languages that works for them and show people ways of learning languages that are not textbook, boring, 2000 hours, oh my god. You know, because we find ways of having fun here. Um, good, das bringt mich auch zu meinem nächsten, zu meiner nächsten Frage oder meinem nächsten Thema. Um, having fun and enjoying language learning und diese Liebe, weißt du, diese Liebe, diese, um, dieser Spaß ansprachen. Der, der ist ja auch am besten, wenn man es mit anderen Leuten zusammen teilt. Und da hast du ziemlich viel Erfahrung aus der aus der Gemeinschaft von Esperanto-Lernenden oder Esperanto-Sprechern ähm, und dann später auch mit dem Polyglot-Gathering. Äh, dann wollte ich erstmal ein bisschen fragen, erzähl mal ganz kurze Version von wie hat das angefangen und wie war das erste Polyglot-Gathering? Because I wasn't there at the first Polyglot-Gathering. Ja, also das, ähm, die, ich habe schon sehr früh Esperanto gelernt, äh, mit 14 Jahren. Uh, und uh, war dann online in den uh, in der Community drin. Uh, das ist wirklich so etwas uh, wie wie ein Stamm, a, a tribe, uh, der der auf der ganzen Welt uh, verteilt ist, aber mit dem man sich sofort uh, verbunden fühlt. Also uh, ich habe das auch schon mehrmals gemacht. Ich bin irgendwo hingereist, sagen wir nach Kaunas, nach Litauen, uh, kannte dort niemanden uh, und uh, habe sofort mit den lokalen Esperanto-Sprechern Kontakt aufgenommen. Die haben mich aufgenommen, die haben mir gezeigt, was es in der Umgebung gibt, was es zu sehen gibt. Die haben mir litauisches Essen gemacht und es, war, es ist wirklich so, dass es ein, ein, ein Stamm ist, ein, eine Gruppe, eine Gemeinschaft, die, die man so einfach ansprechen kann. Einfach, wenn man die gleiche Sprache gelernt hat. Und das ist bei den anderen Sprachen nicht so. Also ich kann nicht einfach mhm. zu jemandem gehen, weil er Französisch gelernt hat oder weil er Spanisch gelernt hat. Aber ich denke, bei Polyglots ist das genauso. Es ist möglich, wenn ich jetzt nach London gehe, dann rufe ich den Gareth an und sage, hey Gareth, möchtest du, uns, möchtest du, dass wir uns treffen? Ich, ich sehe also die Polyglots auch als eine Art Tribe, virtueller, digitale, mhm. ähm, ja, ja. der so ähnlich funktioniert. Und genau aus dem gleichen Grund funktionieren die Treffen so gut. Also die, das Polyglot Gathering ist von der Idee her, kommt es von den Esperanto-Treffen, bei denen ich teilgenommen habe. Das ist so, das ist meistens eine Woche. Die Gruppe mietet sich eine gesamte Jugendherberge und dann schläft man, isst man und hat Vorträge und hat Konzerte und so. Alles im gleichen Haus. Und dadurch wächst man wirklich zusammen, man lebt zusammen. 
Es ist nicht so, dass man nur äh, sich zu irgendwelchen Vorträ äh, Vorträgen trifft, sondern wirklich äh, im Aufzug äh, oder beim Essen ist man nur von Esperanto umgeben. Und genau das wollten wir auch äh, der Polyglot-Gemeinschaft geben. Äh, also, dass man äh, nicht ein, eine Fachtagung hat, äh, wo es nur Vorträge mhm. gibt, wie lernt man am besten Sprachen oder was habe ich für eine Methode äh, gefunden oder... Ähm, was sind äh, die neuesten Forschungsergebnisse äh, zum Mongolisch oder so? Äh, nein, wir wollten äh, der Polyglot-Gemeinschaft auch dieses Gemeinschaftsgefühl äh, geben, was sich entwickelt, wenn man wirklich zusammenlebt, mehrere Tage lang zusammenlebt. Mhm. Äh, das war die Idee äh, hinter dem Polyglot-Gathering. Äh, äh, mhm. Konkret kam das, äh, weil äh, Richard Simcott äh, und Alex Rawlings das, ähm, Poly die Polyglot Conference äh, organisiert hatten in Budapest. Ja. Äh, das war die, das erste Treffen von äh, Polyglots. Vorher gab es nur Foren, also sehr große Foren. Ich glaube, 40.000 Leute, das Größte, ähm, bei denen sich die Leute natürlich auch äh, kennen und schätzen gelernt haben. Da kannte ich schon den Richard, ich kannte auch schon den Alex und auch einige andere. Ähm, aber das war eben das erste echte Treffen, Uh, angedacht waren irgendwie 50, 60 Leute, gekommen sind 120 und noch mehr wollten kommen, dann war klar, das war etwas, auf das die Leute gewartet hatten. Die Möglichkeit, sich zu treffen und gemeinsam uh, über uh, Polyglots und über Sprachenlernen und so uh, zu reden, mit, mit anderen Leuten, die genauso verrückt sind wie du. Also die nicht nur Spanisch lernen, weil Spanisch gerade in ist uh, oder Chinesisch, weil sie irgendwie sich einen Job erf erhoffen, sondern Einfach aus Spaß an der Freude. Mhm. Ähm, ne, so ist das doch. Ja, yeah. it's, it's worth saying in English too. Yeah, just, just for the heck of it. Yeah. Just learn languages for the heck of it. That's what the polyglot does. Yes. Uh, so it's not that I have a real urgent need uh, and use for creation. It's just that, um, you know, there's uh, this opportunity to speak it and it's not... A necessary opportunity. I do have other languages with uh, this person, but it's a good excuse. Mm -hmm. Meeting this person, it's a good excuse to learn a bit of Croatian. Definitely, definitely. I think so, this is a this... great answer to when people ask me, why are you learning Welsh? People always expect some kind of practical reason, and I really haven't got one except for, it's awesome! <laughs> It's like yeah, and it, I, I like the German word Ausrede. Ich brauche eine Ausrede, um zu, ich brauche keinen Grund, ich brauche eine Ausrede, um uh, Kroatisch zu lernen. Yeah, yeah, we don't need excuses, really. We or, I mean, yeah, no, you're right. So Judith says, I'm translating you wrong. This is bad. Okay, to do, to do your justice, what you're saying is like, you don't really need a reason. You need an excuse to learn a language. Really, and it's like people look for that, but really sometimes you just have, if you're driven by the love, if you're driven by Spaß an der Freude, learning for the heck of it, you don't even need a reason, like you don't, you don't have a reason, right? So people looking for a reason, all you can give them is an excuse. Yeah. And I was uh, Yeah. The, the reason comes afterwards. I've had so mm -hmm. many experiences mm -hmm. that I never thought I could, I could have. Um, I mean, even the languages where I was certain they would be useless, Like uh, Esperanto, I, I thought it would be useless, but actually I've had like jobs come to me and projects and a lot of uh, free travel and awesome experiences. It's uh, uh, It was to totally worth it. Or, or Chinese, 
Uh, I didn't learn it for any uh, economic advantage. I still don't have a job involving Chinese, but I got some uh, travel for uh, for free with the uh, European Union and mm-hmm. interesting uh, meetings with like high level uh, industry re- representatives in China. And it's uh, it's just when when you know the language, then opportunities uh, come to you. Mm. So yeah, if you're looking for a reason nowadays to learn a language. Uh, unless it's English, there's probably no reason. Unless your company uh, is intending to send you to South America uh, when they know that you don't speak Spanish uh, and then you have to learn Spanish in order to survive there. You know, this kind of real reason, urgent reason to learn a language doesn't come up, doesn't come around very often. So you really need just an excuse and you need to be enjoying the language. Yes. And I, I often say, or, or I mean, the way I think about it is if your reason is to challenge your mind and to, to grow as a person... That that is a genuine reason, but you could do seventeen thousand different things. Like people meditate for that reason, people do gratitude journals for that reason, people do ultra marathons for that reason. Uh, but if you want a mental ultra marathon, then you could learn a language. Definitely, and it, yeah, it's it's been shown to delay dementia. I mean, yeah, um, it, technically, learning a language is uh, is the most powerful medicine we know for dementia and Alzheimer's. It is indeed, and it's it's one of the only scientifically proven ones. So when I hear from people who who you know go gluten free or whatever for for purposes of I don't know like delaying aging, um, I often think that you know there's a maybe more difficult, <laughs> less convenient, don't know way of weighing way of doing that that just hasn't been getting the media attention. So we got some work to do there. Okay, so the polyglot gathering. Is yeah, we kind of um, do, yeah, stray. Uh, so um, yeah, the polyglot uh, originally. The, originally, there was the uh, polyglot conference, the first polyglot conference in uh, in in Budapest, uh, organized by uh, Richard Simcott and Alex Rawlings, and this was really a, a conference style where there is uh, talks, and after the talks, uh, the people dissipate or. Uh, go to different restaurants to have lunch. And uh, so after this conference, he said that the next time he might be organizing a conference uh, in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it would return to Europe uh, a year later. Uh, so two, two years after the meeting. And everyone was like, what? We have to wait two years to meet again? That's not possible. So at that point, uh, Chuck and I stepped up and said, okay, uh, we're going to organize another polyglot uh, get-together, a conference, if you will, uh, here in Europe, uh, while Richard and Alex are doing North America. Now, that's not how it worked out, because they did actually organize the next uh, Polyglot conference in um, in Serbia. Uh, but uh, at that time, we were already planning the uh, Polyglot gathering, the first Polyglot gathering to take place uh, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the start of it. And it was uh, bigger, and uh, it was more days. And it had this Esperanto philosophy of uh, living together, not just uh, being there for the lectures. And... How come that it moved to to Bratislava? How did that happen? Oh, uh, after three years of organizing the polyglot gathering in Berlin, uh, our little team needed a break. We um, basically spent half a year just uh, organizing it and uh, not being able to uh, earn any money during that time because the polyglot uh, gathering is a non-profit. So um, we uh, decided to ask uh, our good friend uh, Lydia, uh, who's also polyglot, uh, to uh, organize uh, the thing in uh, Bratislava mm-hmm. uh, at the uh, Economic University, which is a very good partner for this event. Uh, and uh, she did a really, really good job together with uh, another friend of ours, uh, Peter Balash, 
who has a lot of experience organizing uh, Esperanto events. He actually runs an Esperanto company called uh, Educaduce Interreto, uh, Education at Internet. Mm -hmm. So um, we know that they are very experienced uh, in organizing all kinds of events and all kinds of things. So uh, we we felt confident that uh, the Polyglot uh, Gathering would be uh, in good hands. And now uh, this year they they are going to organize it uh, for the second time. Yeah, and do you miss it in your life? No, I don't miss it because uh, I do go to the Polylot gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy it as much as ever. Uh, I am less involved in the organizing, uh, barely involved, in fact. Uh, but I also don't absolutely need to uh, to do more organizing at this point because I organize so much for the uh, DM25. Mm, yes. <laughs> for a minute, I thought you said you organize for the M25, which is a no, horrible, DM25, horrible motorway. It's, it's an acronym. <laughs> yes. Democracy in Europe Movement 2025. Mm, yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was that's very much you can tell that I've moved somewhere near London when you hear M25 and you just go crazy. No, it's actually a very interesting opportunity because it's uh, uh, well, it's, it's a political movement, and I don't want to be talking too much about politics, but it's uh, just fascinating for me uh, as a polyglot and uh, uh, as a as a program, a web developer even, uh, to get so close to politics without actually, you know, having to do politics, having to do all the kind of sleazy, uh, dishonest ways that politicians engage in. And I just uh, am able to, to help with the organizing, to uh, uh, help with the, the, the planning, and of course it's... Um, uh, it's a different kind of movement where even the uh, the public representatives are not uh, sleazy or dishonest at all. They're all very upright uh, in- intellectuals uh, that uh, try to uh, to create a different uh, Europe that is... Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> there was an, an article defending it uh, along uh, Kant's uh, uh, principles, but I shall not get into it. Anyway, for me, it's, it's just fascinating to get this kind of uh, insight into how uh, European politics actually work. Uh, and what is going on behind the scenes? There's so much that I've learned that doesn't appear in any news article, like this editorial by this guy is actually a signal to this other movement uh, that he is ready to do that. And, you know, the kind of things that I never thought there would be. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anywhere that listeners can get a little bit of insight or get a sense of what what goes on in European politics? (laughs) If anybody wants to know. Well, um, we have some articles on the uh, on our website, of course, dm25.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this kind of uh, behind the scenes uh, signaling and so on, you, you don't really find it uh, on any uh. on any website or any news sites. Uh, occasionally, uh, occasionally there is an editorial that is uh, giving you a bit of the background story, like uh, in Germany right now, the uh, fight within uh, Die Linke. Mm-hmm. Um, there is. Um, uh, a fight between the leadership uh, on whether they want to go Europeanist uh, or nationalist uh, in terms of their next uh, direction, whether they want to um, protect German workers at the expense of uh, foreign workers, uh, or whether they want to create a a new kind of Europe, which would be uh, uh, protecting uh, low-income people everywhere in Europe. Um, so this is kind of a, a leadership fight between uh, Katja Kipping, the leader of the party, and um, Sarah Wagenknecht, uh, the leader of the parliamentary um, group. And uh, there are some articles that will give you insight on uh, what is happening there and how the nomination of this person or that person is uh, helping this uh, group in the Linke or the other group in the Linke. But 
that's about as far as you can get. You don't get like the uh, the, the, whis- the whispers. Uh, that is really something that you get when you associate with the kind of people that uh, that are working in this area or the journalists themselves. Wow. Okay. So listeners, if you are really, really interested and you want to hear some whispers, probably best to get in touch with you directly. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to stay out of the, the politics in, in any further um, discussion. <laughs> okay. So... I am going to slowly wrap it up and vielleicht noch eine Frage auf Deutsch, eine schnelle und dann, mhm. dann enden wir auf Englisch. Ähm, du hast ja einen amerikanischen Freund ja. und ähm, sprichst auch Englisch mit deinem amerikanischen Freund, aber ihr wohnt beide in, in Berlin und ich habe ja schon mit Chuck gesprochen, auch auf dem Podcast oder im Podcast oder wie auch immer man das sagt und Chuck ist vielleicht nicht unbedingt ein typischer Amerikaner, aber wie findest du, findest du dich beeinflusst von der amerikanischen Kultur? Wie äußert sich das? Ja, zum einen natürlich, wenn ich Englisch spreche, dann rede ich anders. Mhm. Um, there is a lot more banter, for example. Mhm. Um, auf Deutsch finde ich das eher schwierig. Zum anderen haben wir uns natürlich das Beste aus beiden Kulturen angeeignet. Also ich sage nur so, wir hatten jetzt gestern hier Chocolate Fudge Brownies. Ich bin ein großer Fan von allen Süßkram aus Amerika. Ich bin auch ein Fan von Colbert Report, den ich erst durch Chuck kennengelernt habe. Mhm. Es, es gibt so Sachen, die, die finde ich richtig gut. Aber im Großen und Ganzen leben wir schon europäisch. Ich meine, Chuck ist ja auch aus Amerika emigriert vor, vor einigen Jahren, noch bevor wir uns kennengelernt haben. Das heißt... Er hat auch mit der aktuellen amerikanischen Kultur nicht ganz so viel am Hut wie die Leute, die jetzt wirklich dort leben. Mhm, mhm. Ah, dann ist das ja nicht so extrem. Nein, es ist, also auch dadurch, dass ich öfter Amerika besuche, werden mir viele Unterschiede klar. Deutsche Kultur oder deutsche Lebensweise und amerikanische oder einfach... Gedankensmuster, Mentalitäten, mhm. die man so nicht findet in Deutschland. Aber ich denke, ich bin, ich habe mich da nicht so sehr ein, äh, beeinflussen lassen. Nee, bist immer noch Deutsch. Du hast ja auch einen Blog darüber. Dann, um, you, you write a blog, it's in English, so let's say in English. You write a, a quick blog about American and German culture, right? Um, no, just um, just Germany. Actually, I've been pretty bad at blogging about this ever since uh, joining this uh, politics. So it's called Understanding Germany. Mm-hmm. And um, it basically grew based on my experiences uh, with uh, Americans, uh, not just Chuck, but uh, people who are really living in America and who barely know anything about Germany. So I explained a lot of the, the cultural differences, the differences uh, in society. Uh, like, for example, why people here uh, do not have many guns mm-hmm. or why people believe in universal health care. And I actually engage with the arguments that there are in America against having uh, universal health care and the arguments that we have here in Germany for, or in Europe uh, for having it uh, or um, just all all these kind of things. Well, that's fascinating. And I'm, I'm going to put a link to it. I, I discovered this when I was, you know, prepping and researching. And I think it's, it's really, really cool. So I'm going to keep following it. And I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. So it's called Understanding Germany. Okay. Well, you don't, you don't need the uh, insights. You're German. I, 
I like to, I don't know, I'm a German, but I live in Britain and people don't always understand German, you know, like the, the, hmm, the gift bag, the hamper <laughs> of mm -hmm. perceptions, ideas and beliefs about what Germany is and what Germans are like is very different here, but it's still full of a lot of things that aren't true. And also, to be honest, I have lived away from Germany for so long that I appreciate opportunities to stay in touch with German mindset and thinking because I think I'm influenced by living abroad for so long. Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. Mm. So, and, I, and sometimes I talk about uh, the topics or the big upsets uh, of, uh, of the day, mm -hmm. like um, when there's a big... Um, Coalition. Well, the coalition <laughs> talks just now, but... Uh, I mean, if there's a big viral video, for example, mm -hmm. then uh, I might write an article about it and uh, give it a bit more expo uh, exposure that way uh, and say uh, how it fits into the German uh, context or a famous actor died or uh, there's some kind of uh, tradition taking place. Then, yeah, uh, actually, I think that uh, to understand uh, a culture, you really need to know the language. If you just rely on, on translations and on Uh, even on blogs uh, like mine, then it's more like an impressionist picture that you're getting of uh, this culture. Mm -hmm. uh, an, an impressionistic uh, painting, if you want. Uh, whereas uh, if you're learning the language, uh, then you get photographs. Now, photographs are still not as good as the real life, but they're a whole lot closer. So um, yeah, I, I found this uh, in learning Greek, uh, especially. Uh, there's maybe because uh, Greece is also not so interesting f uh, for most people. Modern Greece, I mean, uh, but uh, what I read in English about uh, or in or in German about uh, what's happening in Greece uh, or how Greek society work works, how people think is just uh, you know an impressionistic painting. And then if you actually learn the language and you read it, how the issues are presented in Greece uh, itself, then uh, you get a completely a new a new world opens up to you. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the, the John Le Carré quote. He, you know, the author, he wrote an article about learning German. And there's a sentence in it that is, um, learning a language is ultimately an act of friendship. I do believe so. Mm, I think that's a, well, we will, we'll leave it there. It's a great note to end it on. So I'm going to say, I'm going to thank you in German first. <lacht> um, ja, erstmal danke, dass du hier dir Zeit genommen hast und, und mitgemacht hast bei diesem zweisprachigen Podcast. Schauen wir mal, wie es ankommt und, und ob irgendjemand danke was verstanden hat. Nee, ja, ich, danke für die Einladung. Einladung. Es hat mir wirklich Spaß gemacht. Ja, es, ist, ähm, es war eine super, eine super Konversation, ganz tolle Unterhaltung und wirklich ähm, schön von jemandem zu hören, der, ich glaube, wir haben uns vom, von der Philosophie her oder von dieser Liebe zum Sprachenlernen, fühle ich mich dir sehr ähnlich. Ähm, und das ist dann besonders schön, so ein Gespräch zu haben. Das ist wirklich polyglot. <lacht> okay, so I'm gonna thank you in English. Um, <lacht> je peux le faire en français aussi, but let's not. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, for, for being on the show. You did, obviously, um, like I said at the start, you were a, a very much requested guest. So I'm really, really glad to, number one, be doing something for our readers who were interested in hearing from you and hearing a conversation. I love putting, you know, the voice out there of somebody who really believes in language learning as a way to, you know, connect with people, make the world better and still, and also grow as a person, you know, who's like 100% 
on board with this thing. And what really came out for me is that you are doing things for the love of them. You know, you're doing things because like that you feel it's the right thing to do. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Kerstin. Uh, you really honoring me and uh, I'm blushing here. <laughs> um, but uh, I think this is uh, a general trait of, uh, of polyglots. I mean, why would you learn so many languages if it's not for the love of them? There's not, not co there's conceivably no job that requires you to speak eight languages. I mean, if you speak two, three languages really well, okay, you can get a good job, but eight languages, not really. So we're all doing it for the love of it, and you don't need to make me look like some kind of uh, exception or ideal. Um, let's let's be honest here. We're we're all just this kind of uh, community that has a love of uh, of languages. And that is always trying to improve ourselves and improve our understanding of uh, of the world. And uh, I love being part of this. Mm, you could not have proved my point any better of all the compliments I just gave you. <laughs> But it's... I, I really, I, I don't know. I'm just going to end it there because I don't think we could say this any better. Thank you so much for being on the show. Vielen Dank. Und damit ist es Tschüss von mir. Tschüss, goodbye. And it's goodbye from Judith. And now, Thank you. Yay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to leave us a rating in iTunes and also to subscribe. And please get in touch and tell us what you thought of the episode and our topics. On Twitter, we are at LD Languages and at Fluent Language, so we're easy to find. Or you can send me an email to Kirsten, that's K E R S T I N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk.